welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this June 2017 episode is mapping your family history. First, we're going to dive right into our top tip segment where contributing editor Sonny Morton is going to share four questions that you should be asking when you feel like your ancestors have sort of dropped off the radar and the map. Then in the 101 Best Website segment, we will tour Randy Major's Historical U.S. County Boundaries Maps website. In the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, Vanessa Wheeland is here to take the reins, and she's going to be interviewing me about how to find historical maps. And then we'll head on over to the Genealogy Insider blog, where editor Diane Haddad is going to dig even further into one of those best websites. And then we will wrap it all up at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan. There is a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the Top Tips segment with Sonny Morton. Do you feel like your ancestors dropped off the map? Well, maybe it's not because they moved, but because the boundaries shifted or the street names might have changed. Well, in the article called Moving Target, Sonny Morton and Randy Majors help you use old maps to solve place problems. And here to share some strategies from that article that appears in the June 2017 issue of Family Tree Magazine is Sonny Morton. Hi, Sonny. Hi, Lisa. Uh, This is a great article. I love mapping articles and anything about old maps. And I like the approach that you took because you kind of helped pose the question to the reader, what should you be asking yourself in order to be able to figure out maybe what boundaries have changed, where a person was located? Tell us about that. Start with your first question. What do we ask ourselves? Sure. And I think it does help us to frame this in questions. You know, we always hear that as genealogists, we need a specific research question yes. to start any line of inquiry because it's so easy to get a little bit deer in headlights, to get a little yeah. overwhelmed at all the different answers that we want to have. So to focus in on, well, what what's our line of questioning? What specifically do we want to learn right now? And you can do that with maps as well as any other type of uh, resource that you're looking into historically. So our first question here might actually, Lisa, it might sound really obvious, but it's not necessarily, I promise. It's, are you looking in the right state and the right county? Exactly. And, you know, I don't mean to say, well, duh, of course I am. I've, I I know where they lived. Um, but really, things have changed over time. In the And specifically, we're talking in this article about the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, state boundaries have changed clear into the 1900s. County boundaries have changed. Um, most of the time, they've gotten smaller as more additional counties have been formed. But sometimes boundaries have just kind of um, jogged one way or another or sort of sliced and diced here and there, especially along state lines if there's a little bit of a territory dispute uh, or along places where there might be a major metropolis and some boundaries shift as the population grows. So th- really, it's a it's a valid question to start off by asking, are you looking in the right state and county? And you gave some tools in this article, because you want to, after you ask that 
ask that question of yourself is be able to go to some resources to help you identify because sometimes like you say we make an assumption oh yeah it's virginia well was it virginia was it west virginia, <laughs> was it west virginia? You know? yeah right well was it 1860 or was it 1864 exactly. it makes a difference so um that's a really great example is the virginia west virginia split and my go-to source for this has always been newberry library's atlas of historical county boundaries which is online it's a fabulous and free online tool that uses historical county boundary information taken from uh, pieces of legislation and all the other places that um, that old uh, county boundaries appear. And then it puts it all into an interactive map format so that you can go to a place and enter a date and find out what the boundaries of that particular county were. So in doing so, I'm not ignoring the idea of was it the right state because when you're looking at the county boundaries in the atlas of historical county boundaries you will also see which state it's in at that time yes it's such a powerful tool i love it and of course they have updated it it is finally back up and running as an interactive map on their website Uh, And I know that your co-author, Randy Majors, has pulled that data into his own website and a a tool that, that genealogists can use as well, right? They have. And, you know, Family Tree Magazine has spotlighted his tools at his website in the past. Mm -hmm. And we included a little demo in this article of how to use uh, his county boundaries tool uh, for doing the same kind of search. So you have a couple different options here going right to the Atlas of Historical County Boundaries on the Newberry Library website and then using um, Randy Major's tool. But then, Lisa, you have an additional strategy up your sleeve, don't you? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to kind of take it to the next level, you can download these data sets from the um, Newberry Library's website. And it's it comes down as a KMZ file that works in Google Earth. So you can uh, open those up, it'll open up right in the Google Earth program, which of course, is a free software program you can download. And then you can use it in Google Earth all the time. So if you're already plotting areas and locations and birthplaces and doing overlays and all the exciting things that you can do with Google Earth, you can have all of these county boundaries and state boundaries and territory boundaries also interactively available right there along with your own data. So it kind of brings it all together in one big place. Lots of different options for genealogists. Yeah, you really do. So then moving on to this next question is really more of the same, but getting a little bit more detailed. Are you looking in the right locale, in the right city or in the right town, in the right township? And again, these boundaries have also changed in the past. Now, that the bad news, though, is that if you look even just now at the U.S., the, currently there are more than, I think, 20,000 incorporated places in the United States. And um, there's no central mapping tool for those, Lisa. I'm sorry. I, sorry I can't give that to everybody to say, well, okay, well, now we'll just go look to see if any of the city boundaries change. Not quite so easy. So these you do really have to explore yourself. And you can do it by looking for old maps of a particular particular city or town. Um, And you can do that. Sometimes they're in old city directories. Um, Often they're in old atlases, county atlases or city atlases. Often you can find some of these online. Um, But you can also work the other direction and look in your own ancestors' historical records, like their deeds or U.S. Census listings, to see what the name of their locale was at that time period. 
Yeah, I was just working um, on an ancestor's records in the census uh, just the other day. And of course, they had written down their, the town in which he was born as one name, but in the census, it was actually a different name just 10 years later. So those things do change. And my goodness, I, I live outside the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And it's, it's constantly changing. Siri can't even keep up with it. So you're right. This is something that we can kind of dig into ourselves. And again, you have some great resources uh, in the article for that as well. And you for your third question, you talk about did the street name or address change? So we're getting even more specific. Yes, we're drilling down. And you know, this this is going to be a question that can be a little bit harder to track sometimes. Um, but sometimes we make assumptions about there even being a street name or right. <laughs> address or a street number because those in many places didn't exist until the early 1900s or maybe the late 1800s. So you might not find your ancestor's address identified by street name or address. Now, this did happen in the 1880 census and moving forward, there is a place for that. Uh, if you'll look on the left-hand columns, there's a place for a house number and a place for the street name. But you'll find that they're not consistently filled in until the early 1900s for a lot of places because they just didn't have a need until home delivery of mail uh, in the early 1900s was uniform. There was no need for there to be such a specific designation for where your house was. Well, it's the house right there. You know, you <laughs> walk down the street and somebody points to it and that's that's as specific as it got. So yeah, you do have to end up looking and you're going to be using some of these same maps and you're going to often be comparing older maps to newer ones to try to figure out, wait a minute, in this old map, I only see five streets or thoroughfares in this one large area. And in this new map, there's about 40 streets. And so you're seeing development over time. But if you drill down a little bit, and if you try to imagine that those 40 streets with, you know, the, maybe the 35 of them stripped away that weren't there before, you can start to see patterns sometimes of, wait a minute, that old footpath that was there eventually became this main road through town or is still here. And then you can start to, you can start to overlay them. I know that's something that you love to do. Yeah, absolutely. You get that kind of time travel experience if you can right. overlay maps, whether you're doing it through, you know, transparencies of them sitting on your desk, or whether you bring them into a tool like Google Earth, uh, right. being able to overlay them. And I know Randy's tool does some overlaying of the boundaries on the maps. So doing things through time. Uh, I, I love these. It's amazing, the tools. I've even noticed that some towns, if you do some Google searching, you'll find that they have actually gone into this. And they have a website where you can go and um, see the evolution of how the town had changed and the street names as they evolved. I've seen some with even just indexes where you yes. start with one street name and you can follow it back in time, which is great. It is wonderful. And sometimes you'll find these indexes published for major cities or even mm -hmm. smaller ones. They'll publish their own street name change guides or address change guides. Uh, but sometimes you can track that in city directories. Um, Randy Majors gave us an excellent example of how he did that in the article. And then sometimes you can also follow them forward in your ancestors' deeds, whereas an older deed might have described it as just a lot number on this particular street. Um, maybe a later deed describes it as house number, whatever, and then says uh, on the street that's named this, which was formerly called this. So I've done that before, too, where I, I've seen the evolution of the naming over time just through the deeds. 
And what is our fourth question that we should be asking ourselves? Our fourth question is a little more complicated, but also a little more fun. And that's the question is here, can the neighbors help us out? When you're lost in a neighborhood, knock on somebody's door. And that's what we're doing figuratively here. When we start, we lose track of our own family. We look around and say, well, where are some neighbors in some of these same records? And if these neighbors still show up in the, the records that I can't find my own ancestor in, maybe we can use their locations to triangulate where that my ancestor is. Or maybe we can, if we do see a family name on a map, but we're not sure it's our family, maybe it's a common name, we can sometimes use those uh, names of their neighbors that might show up. And I'm talking about an old property ownership map here. I give an example in the article where I used um, I used an 1879 property owner map that was just kind of out in the country with my ancestor's common name on it. I compared that listing to him in the 1880 census the following year. And I thinking to myself, well, if this is really my ancestor, I know the guy in the census is my ancestor. There's more detail there. So if I if all of the neighbors have the same names as he does during at, in the census, in the 1880 census, then I'll know that this 1879 map is my guy. And that's what turned out to be the case. You can look at how that mapped out and how it compared to the census in the article. Uh, and then this article is just jam-packed with all kinds of tools. As you go through each question, you will not be without strategies and tools and websites and all kinds of wonderful ideas for how to flesh these out and answer these questions. Uh, again, the article is called Moving Targets. And Sunny, hey, this was a great introduction. I can't wait to dig into all the rest of the uh, article. Thank you so much for sharing it. Absolutely. All right, well, it's time to check in on the news from the blogosphere. And to do that, we're going to talk to Diane Haddad. She is the editor of Family Tree Magazine and the Genealogy Insider blogger. Hi, Diane. Hello. Uh, we've been talking about mapping and uh, old historic maps and that kind of thing. And that's what this episode is all about. And I see that you have been blogging about that on the Genealogy Insider blog, too. Yes, the Library of Congress has increased its collection of online um, digital Sanborn maps, and it's going to um, keep adding to this collection until it gets to something like 500,000 maps, which is just wonderful. And if people haven't used Sanborn maps before, they were created for fire insurance purposes. So they will show streets and um, house numbers and then the kind of the footprint of a building with uh, color coding and little notations that show the composition of the building and um, sometimes the type of roof, um, windows and doors and um, any kind of special risks, like if it's a you know, bakery with ovens or some kind of foundry or something like that. So it really gives you a good look at the neighborhoods where your ancestors lived at that time. And that's exactly what you did in this post. You went and checked out the neighborhoods of your families to walk yeah. us through that. How, how did it work? Well, I have a lot of family that lived in Covington, Kentucky, which is um, kind of a suburb of Cincinnati across the Ohio River. And so what I did was I focused on a couple of families. They lived in um, a small area near each other and started by just searching for the city and this collection on the Library of Congress website. And the maps, um, Sanborn maps for Covington were published in two years 
it was 1886 and 1894. So I picked the earlier set of maps. And your first view, um, when you click on that initial image, you see kind of a little thumbnails of all the maps in that series. So the first one is a broad view that shows um, which map you need to go to to look at each area closely. So you kind of have to have an idea of where the person lived. You want to know their address, which you can find in city directories and um, censuses after, I think, 1880. And then you can, um, from there, figure out um, which kind of close-up map you need to look at. And you can pan around and zoom in and find the street where your ancestor lived. And then you look at house numbers and you can see the actual house. I know that is so neat. And they're just hand drawn in there. And all that, like you said, all the details about what was going on there and, and, and the type of structure that it was. Right. And people will want to look at that first map in the series so that there's usually um, some kind of key that tells you what the colors mean and what the different notations mean. And then at that end of the series for larger cities, there will be an index map that um, lists the street names and which map you can find those streets on. So the blog post kind of gives you a step-by-step with screenshots so it's a a little bit easier to follow than, you know, just talking about what it looks like. Exactly. And and like, it's a six-step process that you've got outlined here. And you even say here that we can download these as a TIFF file, which is fantastic. These are, uh, I'm guessing now in the public domain, I'm assuming that's how they got them. Um, I know they've been scattered across different repositories over the years and different places online. And here they are all collected in one place. It's fantastic. Yes. Well, check it out. Her blog post, it's called How to Use the Library of Congress's New Sanborn Maps for Genealogy. Diana will walk you through her six-step process for finding locations in her family. And um, hopefully that will lead you to some of yours as well. Thank you so much, Diane. You're welcome. In this 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, I've invited Randy Majors to tell us about his website. It's called Historical U.S. County Boundaries Maps. Hi, Randy. Hey, Lisa. How are you? Doing great. And we were just talking with Sonny Morton about the article that the two of you did together. But uh, you've been a busy guy. You've also got this website that you're running. And of course, it falls right into our theme of mapping. Um, I know many of our listeners are familiar with the Newberry Library's Atlas of Historical County Boundaries website, and it kind of lets you uh, see on a map how county, state, and territory boundaries have changed in the U.S. over time. Um, and your website does much of the same kind of thing. Is this is their data the basis for your website? Exactly. That's exactly right. So the, the Newberry Atlas is, is an amazing data source of um, all of the historical county boundary changes that have occurred in the U.S., you know, really going all the way back to colonial times. And uh, I, I just decided to, out of, out of my own research and just when I would need to look this up, um, you could do it on the Newberry website, but it, it was a little more difficult to put in a context of, of seeing the, the present day surroundings and 
it just wasn't as intuitive and quick of an interface. And so I thought, well, all right, there's, there's a little challenge. Let me see if I can do something with this. Great. And so your when you go to your website, and you guys will find it at randymajors.com. And we'll have a link specifically to the map interface that Randy's talking about in the show notes. Um, so we get there and we see what looks like sort of a, a Google Maps, if you will. So it looks a little bit different on the on the outset from their site. How do we start to interact with it? Is there a search box? Do we just click on the map? Yeah, um, I, I tried to make it where whatever you needed to do, you could do it basically in three steps. So, um, yeah, you, you get to the website and uh, you, you see roughly a map of the United States. And, and you're exactly right. It's using the all too familiar Google Maps interface. So that that gives people, you know, some comfort with the familiarity. So all you do, there's uh, two boxes at the top. The one is for the place and one is for the date. Um, the place can be, it needs to be a present day place. Okay, so that's important. So you need to put in either a present day uh, city or town name or uh, all the way down to an address. And then in the other box, you put in uh, a date and that date can either be any historical year or it can be an exact historical date. So that's it. So you put in the place, you put in the date, and then you hit go. And uh, the boundaries of the counties from the date you specified will appear on the map and it'll zoom in to the area of the place that you typed into the box. So it's very straightforward. And it's displaying this on Google Maps and we can see the outlines for that time frame. Like if I put in Denver, Colorado and 1880, uh, it zoomed me right into Denver and it put the 1880 boundaries around it. Does Newberry have the Google Maps or is this unique to your site? Yeah, that's that's one of the unique uh, aspects. Um, Newberry uses, I believe, uh, some open source simplified map uh, data, and I think they're using what's called an ArcGIS platform to develop it. So they're they're using um, the great technologies. They just aren't um, as uh, accessible for the everyday user. And and just because you uh, Google Maps are so ubiquitous, it's like well. If I can pull that together with the boundary information, just make it super easy for people, then that that's what I was uh, uh, aiming for. Exactly. And we've got the advantage of all this data that Google Maps includes in it. I mean, we see the Street View guys, so we could literally jump into Street View. We can zoom in and out. And uh, it looks like you've got some show research locations here at the top of the map. Tell us about that. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, there's... Um, Basically, since this is mainly for genealogy and historical, you know, uh, researchers, um, as a quick aside, though, I see it also used by even, uh, you know, land surveyors and that kind of thing that are doing uh, historical research of an, of an area. So, you know, there's, there's other uses, I guess, that, uh, that people use the tool for. But anyway, the research locations is specifically for uh, if you are doing genealogy and, and, and historical research, once you're in an area, you might want to see, well, where are the courthouses, the libraries, uh, cemeteries, churches, some, some of the usual suspects for um, finding other historical records in the area. So uh, I just made it easy for people to pull those up 
And uh, once you do that, you, for example, on a cemetery, you could even click on the cemetery uh, on the map, and it'll pop up and tell you what it is and give you a link to the find a grave listing. So there's some just easy workflow kind of stuff built into it that, that I added. And the one other thing that I'll, that I'll mention is once you type in a place and a date, um, like you said, you were looked at Denver in 1880 at the top, right above the map, it'll tell you, okay, so that place name is, and if memory serves, I think it was Arapahoe County at the time. Is mm-hmm. that what it's showing? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it, it shows Arapahoe County and then right below that, it shows details about the location. And so it, what it's pointing to, again, from the fantastic Newberry source, that's where this boundary information is coming from, um, is what was the Colorado state law uh, or change that triggered whatever that latest boundary change was. And then I also made it really easy for people to go back and forth a decade just by hitting the, there's a couple of arrows that are right uh, uh, on on either side of the of the date box, right. So we can jump ten years ahead, ten years behind, and then that data changes at the top as well as the map is evolving too, and kind of showing us exactly. how it's laid out. Very cool. So you've been working on this for you've had this for quite some time. When did you first start the website? Uh, you know, it's a good question. Um, it was <laughs> sometime maybe about. Uh, um, I'm just guessing here, but it was probably around seven or eight years ago, even. Um, okay. And uh, really, uh, it was born out of my own research. This and uh, another tool that I have out on on the website that's called Ancestor Search. Um, they're just taking things that I was finding myself doing often uh, while I was doing genealogy research, and that I found, okay, hey, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be an easier way that just is faster to get at what I'm trying to look for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I built it um, and, uh, had, you know, I have programming in my in my background. So um, put it out there and then, uh, you know, a few people discovered it and, you know, little by little word of mouth, there's uh, built a little bit, a little bit more of a following. But uh just started out as a, uh, a homegrown tool, and uh, I thought, well, hey, uh, if it can be useful for for others, uh, it's a good way to give back to the community. Exactly, exactly. And of course, uh, as a genealogist, you know you really know how genealogists are wanting to use this. So, all of you listening, you can go check it out. It's at randymajors.com, and I'll give you the full link. It's slash p slash maps. And it's .html. We'll have the the exact link to it in the show notes. And of course, Randy Majors uh, has other tools here on the website. So you can go check those out as well. Thank you so much. It's uh, been a great addition to our mapping episode. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you do next. All right. Thanks a lot, Lisa. I'm Vanessa Whelan, the Dean of Family Tree University, and today I'm talking with Lisa Cook. We're flipping the tables a bit. We're going to be talking about maps today and the historical maps. Hi, Lisa. Hi. This is kind of fun, a little different. Yes, it is. So we are talking today a lot about maps, and we're talking about specifically there's a video class, The Best Websites for Finding Historical Maps. You hosted this class, you did this and presented this. So you like maps a lot. What draws you to maps? 
Oh, well, I, I love old maps. I think one, they are just beautiful pieces of art so often, you know, um, not all of them, but a lot of them are really amazing. And they're one of the few ways that we can really travel back in time visually. And I'm a very visual person. So I really love getting a lay of the land. And if you think about it, the map is the backdrop for everything else that we're researching, everything that happens, everything we learn about is happening within the context of a location. So it's a perfect match to genealogy. And what type of maps are there out there? Uh, Lots of different ones um, we talk about in the video class as far as things like plat maps where they drew out you know, the land that your ancestors lived on and literally drew the lines to show the acres and even wrote the number of acres in the little box, perhaps even the name of your ancestor as well. I have several plot maps where uh, my farming ancestors are written their first initial and last name right there next to how many acres they owned. And it's really interesting to see in plot maps how they'll own different little pieces. It's not always just this one chunk and that's it. A lot of them had them kind of spread out. Or, and then you start to see some of the relatives too, you know, brothers and, and fathers and grandpas and people who had, and oftentimes women who maybe inherited land or purchased it on their own or never were married. Um, so just lots of different pieces of information that you're going to get in things like plat maps, county maps, township maps, But then there's also maps that go, you know, states, countries, regions, um, in a country like Germany, where the boundaries are, you know, changing a lot through time. These are key to understanding where your ancestors were living. Absolutely. So what are some of the lesser known maps? What what is a good example of a, a map that people wouldn't necessarily know exists? Well, one map that actually hit the news this week are the Sanborn fire insurance maps. And you might have heard the name Sanborn, but a lot of people haven't worked with them and or or just aren't totally clear not only what they are, but where do you get them? Because in the past, they've kind of been scattered all over uh, the country, whether it was online or offline. It, it wasn't just one nice clearinghouse for Sanborn fire insurance maps. And these maps were put together by a company who was trying to determine who they were insuring, right? Which buildings they were insuring? What were the buildings made of? What are they responsible for replacing should a fire occur? And uh, in the wake of some of the major disaster fires in the 1800s, for example, you know, you get to about the turn of the century and they started realizing we really need detailed information. And that's what the purpose of uh, these maps were. The incredible thing about them is how detailed they are. Um, They just go street by street, house by house, building by building, and even indicating what the siding on the building was, you know, there's a whole key uh, legend, you know, in each map that's indicating what are the different symbols and colors they're using to tell us more about these locations. Well, in May of uh, 2017, the Library of Congress uh, made a huge announcement, and that is that they were adding a, just an onslaught of these Sanborn fire insurance maps to their collection. So they have put online nearly 25,000 additional Sanborn fire insurance maps. And wow. Now that's just a piece of what's actually available, but that's a huge chunk when it comes to digital free online maps that you can go and tap into. And over the next three years, 
they're going to be adding monthly until all 50 states are covered from the 1800s through the 1960s. So this is incredible detailed coverage. They're not available for every city, obviously, and certainly you may not find them in um, smaller towns or farming communities. But interestingly, I was looking these up as soon as the announcement came out, and I found some quite small towns up in Wisconsin that had Sanborn Fire Insurance maps. So don't uh, discount them for the area where your ancestor lived until you go and check this collection. And it's going to be ongoing all this year, uh, the addition of these maps. And how fabulous to have them all in one location like this. Um, The Library of Congress has their American Memory Map Collection. And that is one of the uh, resources that we talk about in this video class. And so what you'll see in the numbers in the class, boy, those numbers have just, you know, really multiplied just in the last couple of weeks. So it's an exciting time to be working with old historic maps. That sounds amazing. I can't wait to see all of those. Yeah. So there are a fair few websites out there containing maps. And you just mentioned the American Memory Map Collection. How do you determine which sites to go to or which sites are best for finding these maps? Well, it's like I say, with so many different areas of genealogy, the very best map website is the one that has the maps you need, period. (laughs) That's it. So, you know, it's not a one size fits all. And that was kind of the, the reason behind creating this class is that there's kind of a method for zeroing in on first what you need. And then where you might be able to find it. And of course, um, one of the key tools that we use online is just google.com and knowing how to to search with Google to be able to find some of these. But there are also some websites out there that we know have just huge collections. Um, Gosh, the huge national website out in Australia has a mammoth collection and their collection spans around the world as so many do. So we, again, don't want to make assumptions that just because we've zeroed in on Indiana, that we shouldn't be looking in Australia (laughs) for that Mm -hmm. map. You know, we've got to really be flexible, know how to use our search strategies online. And um, as with all historic maps, you know, and, and all genealogical records, not everything's online, but you can really make a lot of headway by starting online to identify um, what's available, where they are, and how to access those maps, whether they're online or offline. The good news is, is that scanning maps is like scanning photographs. And so, you know, I think a lot of these repositories and archives aren't shying away from going ahead and just digitizing them. And, And so they're a prime candidate for getting online. Great. I think that about wraps up my questions. I'm really excited to go back and review this course again, now that we have these new maps and and to really get into the Sanborn Fire Maps collection. Oh, yeah. Well, and like uh, the class we've been talking about is this best websites for finding historical maps. Um, it is a about a 35 minute video class. It's available in Shop Family Tree. So I will put the uh, link to that in the show notes for everybody listening. Excellent. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks, Vanessa. Well, as we're wrapping up this episode, it's all devoted to mapping out your family history. Let's check in at the publisher's desk with Allison Dolan and see what she's got up her sleeve. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. 
So we've been talking about mapping and looking at a lot of different kinds of resources. And I'm hoping that you have even another one for us. Do you? I do. So longtime listeners of this podcast will know that I'm a big map junkie. And some of my favorite projects that I've ever worked on with Family Tree are these map books of historical maps um, that are both helpful to genealogists and useful, but also wonderful eye candy for those of us who are history buffs. And I would like to talk today about the latest book in our historical map series called The Family Tree Historical Atlas of American Cities. And I have to say, eye candy is a really good uh, description of this book. It's, and it's so motivating to see, you know, through time, all of these different maps. And yet there's a lot of great usable content in here, isn't there? Yeah, that's, um, I think, our goal when we set out to make these books is nothing quite compares to actually seeing the map on a physical page um, in all of its splendor and the tactile nature of that. But at the same time, there's limited utility, of course, um, when you can't zoom into the tiniest detail. So we do provide links to the online versions of the maps. Um, at the back of the book, there's an index that will help you look those up online so that you can do that zooming, but also helpful just to get out like a photographer's loop or a magnifying glass um, to zoom in on details as well. Um, but we made sure to include also just helpful reference information that um, genealogists would want to use, like a timeline of important dates in the city's history and um, things about the city's history, such as what were the industries, when was it settled and incorporated, all of those kind of things that would be foundational for your genealogy research. So you're really talking about the, the history of these locations. And I'm guessing you had a specific criteria in which cities you were kind of focusing on. Absolutely. Um, obviously, we did not have unlimited space to work with. Right. <laughs> it would be um, a total doorstop, and um, that wouldn't have been good. So um, what we did is we focused on 16 of the cities in the United States that were um, most important historically and also for the settlement of the nation. So it does go kind of coast to coast. There's a little bit um, heavier emphasis on the eastern side of the country just because the history there and the settlement there um, is longer, but we go all the way out to places like San Francisco and Los Angeles. Um, so there's good coverage of sort of the migration of the country over time, um, how people you know moved over the centuries. And the maps are in fact presented in that fashion, showing from the earliest dates of the city um, up until about the early 1900s. That's really cool. It's kind of like time traveling through through the uh, history of the country. And of course, as our ancestors moved through the country. And, and like you said, uh, you know, the list of cities that you have here, that probably at some point touches almost every family that has immigrated in, and settled in the United States. Yeah, that was really the idea is not everyone, of course, has urban ancestors. Right. But At some point, most families will have had to do business in a city at some point or another. And what was happening in those cities, of course, 
affected what was happening to everyone everywhere else. And so, you know, whether your ancestors passed through on the way to go someplace else, or if they lived near that city and went into it to do business, um, this will give you a really good view of what those places look like when your ancestors were alive. Very cool. This is a perfect resource to uh, top off this episode. Um, the book that Allison's been talking about is the Family Tree Historical Atlas of American Cities. And it's your baby, isn't it? You put this together. Well, I helped. Um, Andrew Cook, our book editor, deserves most of the credit for this one. But um, this whole series was something that I've been very passionate about since we began it a few years ago. And so in that respect, it is definitely my baby. Oh, fantastic. Well, you can find it at shopfamilytree.com. We'll have a link directly to the book. It looks like it's uh, you can get it as an ebook as well as a print book, correct? Correct. Awesome. And it's got over 130 full color historical maps of 16 of the most important cities across America. Fantastic resource. Thank you so much, Allison. We're going to talk to you next month. Sounds good. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this June 2017 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include the links to all the sites that we mentioned. It's always nice to visit with you here on the Family Tree Magazine podcast. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you, of course, to visit me also over at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my podcast, the Genealogy Gems podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes, and we do have an app for that. Until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. 